This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I want you to open your Bible with me, please, to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, and I'd like you to find Exodus chapter number 20. Now, when I had the privilege to speak uh, the last time, I took you to Genesis chapter 2, and we looked at the first reference to rest in the Bible because there's a lot to be learned there. As a matter of fact, we learned that God made Adam, made man on the sixth day, and the very next day, the first full day man ever lived on this earth was not a work day, it was a rest day. It was almost like the Creator said, all right, Adam, we got a lot to do, but instead of jumping into your work, why don't you spend the day with me? And out of that rest, then, he set in motion everything that he wanted man to do. And I want you to know what was true then must be true now. We don't labor, 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 labor until we are so desperate we got to have rest or we're going to die. We are to learn to rest in the Lord early on, and out of the energy and strength of that rest, God gives us what we need to get the Lord's work done. Now, with that in mind, we come now to when God instituted a day for rest. It's found in Exodus chapter 20, the first time that God gives the record, at least, of these ten commandments. Now, here's, here's the real funny thing. Everybody says, well, you know, nine of these ten commandments are repeated in the New Testament. One is not repeated. That's remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So those nine are really important. But that tenth one, that was just a part of the Mosaic Code, and that's not for us anymore. And I want to say to you, in fact, not only are the other nine repeated in the New Testament, but the fulfillment of remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy is not understood or fully applied until you get to the New Testament. You see, the principle behind every one of these commandments had a purpose. God's heart is revealed in the giving of the law. This wasn't something to hang about man's neck and give him something he had to live up to all the time. This was something where God said, I want to reveal what I want for you. And such is the case in this particular commandment. Look at Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse number 8. We know it. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then notice he goes on, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And let me just get something out of the way right up front. I'm not dealing tonight with a day. I'm dealing in this hour with a way of life. I'm not talking to you tonight about simply remembering a day. No, I'm trying to help you understand a principle that will help you every day that you live, no matter what day it is. How many of you know we need God's rest as much on Monday as we did on Sunday? Would you raise your hand? Sometimes more so. 
And uh, for the record, I still believe Sunday, the first day of the week, is the Lord's day. I believe that. And I don't think one part of it is the Lord's day. I think all of it is the Lord's day. And I think in our civilization, in our culture, something has been lost by not remembering the Lord's day and celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ on Sunday. But I don't want to get sidetracked on that tonight because really that's not what this is about at all. You see, the Sabbath day was not Sunday. The Sabbath day was Saturday. It was the seventh day. And it was a revelation of something God wanted for His people to understand. It is what I'd like to call in this hour the one commandment we love to forget. If I said to you, what's the greatest commandment? Somebody's going to say, well, Jesus said, love the Lord your God. That's right. The second is likened to it, love your neighbors yourself. That's exactly right. But if I said to you, go back to the original Ten Commandments and tell me which one is most important, depending on what you're dealing with right now in your town or your community or your family, you're going to pick one. If you're raising children right now, you're going to say, honor thy father and thy mother. If you're fighting the abortionist crowd, you're going to say, thou shalt not kill. Or you're going to say, well, we got a lot of crime in our town. Well, I tell you, people are thieves today. Thou shalt not steal. Now watch this. While all of these commands reveal something about the holiness of God and God's desire for His people, and they're all equally important, did you ever notice that God actually gives more explanation to this commandment than He does any of the other? If you're going to look at the Ten Commandments and say, which one does God explain more and teach more about? It is, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And yet it's the one commandment we love to forget. May I tell you why we love to forget this one? Because we don't like to obey it. Now, I like to quote, thou shalt not commit adultery because I think I ought to obey that one. How many of you think I ought to obey that one? And you ought to obey it too. And we love to pick out other people's sin and deal with others' failures. But let's just be honest. Some of the people who are busiest in the Lord's work are the most restless in their own souls. Some of the people that are doing most around the church house are most unsettled at their house. Some of the people that are most admired in public for having it all together, if you could see them as God sees them, are actually coming apart at the seams. And do you know why? Because they've neglected the principle of rest that is found in this commandment to remember the Sabbath day to keep it what, church? And we, we preach on holiness, and we should. And isn't it funny the things we list and the things we leave out? Why is it that we give all of these things we think are required for a holy life and tend to neglect this one commandment? Oh, we love to forget it. Did you ever notice that of the seven days when God created each day, He numbered the other six, but this one He named? I'm sorry, but He never named Monday. Or Tuesday, or Wednesday, or Thursday, or Friday, or Saturday. He didn't name any of those days. No, the only day He actually named was the what day, church? I wonder why that is. I'd like for you to write down a handful of little truths tonight that I'm praying the Holy Spirit will use in your heart and use in your home. Here's the first one. The first thing God reveals us in this passage is the purpose of rest. What is the purpose of the Sabbath? 
We could take you to the New Testament to Mark chapter 2 and verse number 27 where Jesus turned and looked at a bunch of very religious people one day who were arguing over the Sabbath day. And by the way, don't religious people love to argue? Oh, we all got our idea and we love to debate. Don't you love how Jesus cuts through all the debate? He gets not to the letter of the law, but to the spirit of it, to the real message behind it, to the purpose of it. And he turned and looked at all these religious leaders and he says, look, I want you to understand something. That man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. What, was it, what did he mean by that? He meant by that that when I created this day and when I sanctified it and when I blessed it and when I made it holy and when I named it the Sabbath, there was a reason behind it. And may I remind you tonight, our God has a reason for everything that he does. God didn't do anything by accident. Nothing is in this book as a filler because God needed something to fill up pages and space. Every bit of it is a revelation of something about himself. And I want you to write this down somewhere. The word Sabbath literally means stop. Just stop it. It's like God leans over the balcony of glory and looks at a world that's gone mad. We live in a world that's lost their minds. We run night and day. We're working 100 miles an hour. We're going faster than our souls can keep up. We're not giving God his rightful place. And the creator looks down from heaven and says, hey, would y'all knock it off? Stop it. As a matter of fact, one day every week he says, stop. Can I tell you that the hardest thing to get God's people to do is not move, it's stop. Somebody says, well, I'm having a hard time getting people motivated, getting people moving in the right direction. Look, when God gets a hold of somebody's heart, they start moving in the right direction. The hardest thing to do is to get people who are in motion to stop long enough to find out what God wants on the next step. George Mueller, a great man of prayer, said he was reading through his Bible one day, and he came to that verse that said, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delighteth in his way. And Mueller said, I like that verse. Mueller had a little practice. He took one verse every day and claimed it. And he said, I like that verse. I'm going to make that my own. And he said, at that moment, the Holy Spirit arrested him and said, look at that verse again, Mueller. And he looked at it. He said, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he said, the Holy Spirit said to him, I not only ordain your steps, I also ordain your stops. Which meant, watch please, we always want to know what the next step is and the next and the next and the next. But sometimes God's step is stop. Sometimes before you can go forward, you got to stand still. That's why the Lord says, be still and know that I am God. And let's just be honest, in our frantic-paced society with our barrage of technology and social media on every hand and the pull of people and the pressure of life, we don't like to be still. Don't answer out loud, but I wonder, when was the last time you got in the car and didn't turn on anything? When was the last time you sat in a room with no television on, no earbuds in, no cell phone at hand, just by yourself and just sat there in silence? Can I tell you, God speaks best in quiet places. He whispers. Could it be that the reason we don't like the idea of Sabbath and stopping is that maybe we're afraid of what God is going to say to us. See, when I'm in public, I can be what you think I am. Right. I can pretend. And so can you. 
When I am here in public, I can, I can give a facade. I can, I can portray something that may not be true. But when I am alone with God, I cannot be what I think I am, and I cannot be what you think I am. When I am still and quiet and alone with a holy God, I have to be what God knows me to be. And so every week, God says there must be a time when you stop. One of the greatest words in the Bible is found in the Psalms. It's the little word, Selah. You know what it literally means? It literally means, why don't you stop and think about that for just a second? Hey, friends, we'd get more out of the Word of God if we didn't race through it, if we stopped every now and then and just prayed and thought about what God was trying to say to us. And maybe what's true of Bible study is true of every day. Maybe we'd get more done and our steps would be more ordered if every now and then we stopped long enough to look to heaven, to a holy God, and say, Lord, I need you to speak to me. Let me tell you what happens to us. Our identity gets so wrapped up in our work. I had to deal with this when I left the place where I'd been for nearly 20 years. I'm just being very, very open with you. My identity had been so long connected to a pastor and to a church and to a college, to an institution and a great place. A place for which I was very grateful to be identified, but my whole life was so wrapped up in all of that, and I had a title, and I, I had an office, and I had responsibilities, and I had a schedule. And then God said to me, you're leaving here, and I want you to go into evangelism. And I argued with the Holy Spirit. How many of you ever argued with the Holy Spirit? Let me tell you, that's not an argument you can win. And you know what I finally had to come to? I had to deal with my pride. I had, to, I had to finally come to this, that my identity was not in another person or another place or any group of people. Look, friends, my identity is in Jesus Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul said, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. Are you there yet? Is your life your church? If it is, if the church is gone, you just lost your identity. Is your life what you get to do or the title you have or, or the place you get to serve? If it is, when that's gone, everything's gone. But look, if your identity is in your God, friend, that's something nobody gives you and nobody can ever take it away. And the Sabbath is a reminder that our identity is not in our work. Hey, you go ahead and work for six days, but you are not your work. You are your God's. You are not what you think you can produce. You are a servant of the living God. And this is the purpose of the Sabbath. There's a second truth I want you to write down, and it's this. God reveals to us something about the person of the Sabbath. <laughs> Did you look at it? Look at verse number 10. He says, the seventh day is the Sabbath of the children of Israel. Is that what your Bible says? Is it the Sabbath of Moses? No. And it's not my Sabbath, and it's not your Sabbath. Watch this, please. It is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. Can I tell you what the Sabbath is? The Sabbath is just a revelation of who God is. Oh, thank you for this, Lord. Let me tell you who my God is. My God is the God of rest. Whew, what rest he gives. Somebody says he's the God of labor. Sure, he's the God of labor, but he's always the God of rest. Hold your place here just a second. Turn over to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy with me just for a moment. Deuteronomy is the giving of the second law, the second time this is given. Come to Deuteronomy chapter 5. I came to this verse the other day in my study, and I, I don't know. I've just missed it. I've missed it. 
You know, when God repeats himself, it's always on purpose. It's not because he forgot he said it the first time. It's because he didn't want us to forget it. So in Deuteronomy chapter number 5, he repeats, look at verse 12, Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. And on and on and on. And then I came down to verse number 15. Look at it and remember. Remember what, Lord? Remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore, the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. Let me ask you a question. What on earth does the Sabbath day have to do with God bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt? I'm glad you ask. Do you know what God is saying in this verse? He's saying, once every week, I want you to stop and remember that I'm a different boss than the one you used to serve. Excuse me, Jesus is a whole lot different than Pharaoh. Let me tell you about Egypt, this picture of the world. Let me tell you about Egypt. They'll let you labor all right, and they'll use you up. Let me tell you about the devil. He'll spend all, your, all of your resources. Let me tell you about sin. It'll waste you. And when the world and the flesh and the devil is through with you, they'll cast you aside and say, we're finished with you. You're finished. Listen to me. But our God is not such a God. Our God replenishes and renews and refreshes and rests. He's the Lord, my shepherd, who restores my soul. How many of you ever needed your soul restored? Well, I want you to know that's your God. And what God is revealing is not simply a principle. He's revealing something about who he is. He is the God of rest. I wish I had time to take you to the book of Hebrews and to show you in two chapters, 11 times, 11 times in two chapters, God talks about rest. And I love this in that book of better things. Do you know what all that rest revolves around? All of it revolves around Jesus. Let me tell you, Jesus is my Sabbath. Jesus is my rest. Jesus is my peace. Jesus is stillness for my soul. There's a historical rest in Jesus. He came to this earth and he labored. He labored for 33 and a half years, three and a half years intensely. And then he labored in Gethsemane in prayer. And he labored in Gabbatha as he suffered. And he labored on Golgotha where he died. And he labored in the grave where he fought the devil. And, and he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave and came out. But watch this. When his labor was done, when it was finished, what did he do? He went back to glory and he sat down at the right hand of the heavenly father. What was he saying? Look, he was saying the labor is done. Now we rest. There's not only a historical rest in Jesus, there's a prophetical rest in Jesus. Friends, there's coming a day that our great master is coming back. I'm looking forward to that day. By the way, he might come before we finish this meeting tonight. Wouldn't it be glorious to all go to heaven from here? And when he comes, let me tell you what he's going to do. He's going to bring rest such as we have never known before. When we leave this world, the Bible says that we rest from our labors and our works do follow us. So, but wait, 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 wait now. Between the past rest and between the promised rest, there's a personal rest. Why is it that those of us who believe that Jesus is the God of rest and that someday we'll rest when we get to be with him, why is it we live lives that are so restless now? One of the old church fathers said, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. We live in a restless world. We live in a world of anxious, fretful people, frayed around the edges. But the sad reality is that's not just true of lost people anymore. God's 
own people have become so anxious and so restless. And could it be because our eyes are on everybody but Jesus and everything but Jesus? See, Jesus gives rest for your spirit. 36 years ago this year, I got saved. How many remember the day you got saved? Look, I couldn't have explained all this theological foundation to you as a kid. But let me tell you, I look back on that and I realize what happened to me that day. I entered into rest. My spirit was worked up and there was sin weighing me down. But on that day, God gave rest to my inner man. On that day, I stopped working for my salvation. and I stopped trying to work my way to God. On that day, all the fruitless labor ended because that was the day I met the God who is rest. And the same God who gives rest to the Spirit gives rest to the body. We're going to talk more about that tomorrow. And our bodies are just clay and they have to have rest and they're things that we ought to do. But don't miss this, please. The rest I'm talking to you about, this Sabbath rest, is not just rest for your spirit and rest for your body. It's rest for your soul. And that's why Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. They hired, had a competition actually, a contest, professional painters, and they asked them if they would paint their artist rendering of what rest looked like. <laughs> if I asked you tonight to draw rest, what would you draw? A bed? A place on a map. And they asked these professional artists, you, you can paint anything you like. There can only be one winner. Two men painted their rendition of rest and their paintings hung next to one another. They were very different. One of them, his picture of rest was a placid lake. It was beautiful, just like glass and a little cabin with smoke billowing out the chimney and the sun setting on the mountains just behind it and that beautiful hue, dusk. The leaves, the trees were just perfectly still and that was rest. And next to it was the most different picture, the most unusual picture, and it actually was the one that won <laughs> because in it the artist pictured a crashing waterfall. Gallons and gallons of water coming over the crest and, and the spray going violently everywhere. You, you could see the spray it painted into the picture. And right in the foreground of that little waterfall was a little birch tree with a limb hanging out that had grown out over that waterfall. And in the fork of that limb was a nest with one little robin sitting in it. The spray all around it and the, the crashing waves right next to it. And yet, perfectly still and at peace. Would you hear me with your heart for a moment, please? What we want is the first. What God gives is the second. What I want is God to take away all the crashing waterfalls and, and all of the waves and all of the spray and all of the noise and give me that place by the lake. By the way, every now and then, that's good. Amen to that? But how many of you have lived long enough to know that's not life? You can't stay there forever. No, no, God's rest is not after your labor. It is in the midst of your labor. It's not after the battle. It's in the midst of the battle. It's not after the friction. It's in the midst of the friction. It's not after the circumstances get better. It's in the midst of your circumstances because that's what true rest is. 
It is found in the person of Jesus Christ. I gave you a third and final thing. Would you write it down? If you believe everything I've just said, but you do not get the third, you've missed it all, I wasted my breath and you wasted your time. Because God teaches us something here about the practice of rest. Isn't it interesting how much preparation had to be done in advance? You had to get ready for it. Let me, get, let me tell you something It's going to sound strange. You have to work at rest. you got to work at it. And you have to choose it. You think it's going to happen accidentally. You think someday, I used to think, someday in the Christian life, I'm going to like finally crest the hill and it's going to get easier. You know what I've discovered? It doesn't get any easier. And the burdens don't go away and the decisions don't disappear and the stress and strain and struggle of life, it doesn't let up with age. It only increases. Maybe God is not waiting for things to get better. Maybe he's waiting on me to practice what he taught in his word. What is the practice of Sabbath? It has to be intentional. By the way, I wish I had time to show you this, but all through Scripture in the Old Testament, why do you think God had so many Sabbaths? He had a Sabbath day every week. He had a Sabbath year every seven years because everything needs rest sometime, including the land. He had special Sabbaths, high and holy Sabbaths, but they all had one thing in common. The days were different. Even the practices were different, but they all had one thing in common. You know what they all had in common? They all brought the people back to God. And can I tell you what rest is to do for us? Is to bring us back to the fact that we don't have what we need and we don't have what others need, but God has enough for both. And on the day of rest, we come back to the God of rest. Pastor Sexton used to call it a Sabbath life. <laughs> we like to talk about a Sabbath day, but I want to ask you a deeply personal question tonight. Are you living a Sabbath life? Let me tell you what it does. Would you write these three things down? First of all, it's a confession of humility. When you finally come to God and say, Lord, I'm not resting, but I need to rest, the first thing it is, it's a confession of humility. It is actually saying to God, my resources are limited. Not only that, it's a confession of faith. It not only says that my resources are limited, praise God, it says his resources are not. And that I believe that God has everything that I need. You know what you actually do when you rest in the Lord? You come to God and you say, Lord, I need you to work. I've been working really hard, Lord, you know that. Listen to me. God doesn't need you to tell him how hard you've been working. He watched you all along. Do you think maybe God lets you work real hard and get real tired and finally collapse so that you would say, Lord, maybe I can't do this on my own? That when the psalmist finally comes to wit's end and throws his hands up there and says, I give up, God says, congratulations. Been waiting on you to get there for a while. Because a confession of faith is, Lord, I need you to work. And then it's this, it's a confession of worship and surrender. I was reading the other day, and an author that I read after said this, and it struck me, and I wrote it down. He said, it's not simply about doing less, it's about being more. Some people want rest so they can get out of responsibility. That's not what we're talking about. It's not about doing less. Hear me, it's about being more with God and becoming more what God wants me to become. And I knew that God wanted me to bring this truth to you, but I did not know when. A few days ago, as I was thinking and praying through this passage, I realized something. I don't know how I missed it all these years. I finally realized that this particular commandment is in the context of the family. 
And up to this point, we've been talking an awful lot about individual rest and your relationship with God and all that. That's where it starts, there's no doubt. But let me tell you where the principle of Sabbath has to begin to be applied most. Once it's in our heart, it has to get in our homes. Can I tell you that you're no better Christian than the Christian you are in the privacy of your own home? My wife is a better Christian than I am. I I say that with all sincerity. And I said to someone the other day that there's no way on earth I could do what I'm doing with my life if she wasn't doing what she's doing with her life. God gave me a perfect wife for me, and she's been a great blessing to me and to our children. And one of the ways that she's done that is she lives in this rest. She didn't know I was going to say this tonight. She would not have wanted me to say it. I'm not always this way. I get worked up. How many of you ever get worked up? Some of it's personality, but you know what we do? We blame personality for a lot of things that are called sin. And we say, well, that's just the way I'm made, you know, that's the way I'm wired. That might be another way of saying, I'd like to excuse my personal failure. Because I get pretty worked up, I can get irritable. Isn't it funny how you can be so spiritual one minute and so irritable the next? Oh, in the holy presence of God and fussing. But my wife, she's, she's a little different than I am in this. And some of it is personality, but some of it is she just walks with the Lord. And even when we went through our transition and we moved towns and, and we moved houses and we moved schools and we moved everything, there was a peace and there was a certain tranquility that helped me and that helped Morgan and Lauren and Grant because there was a rest there. Living in the rest of the Lord, living in the goodness of God, resting in the fact, look, he's going to take care of all of this. And as I read this week, this passage suddenly jumped out at me. Look at verse number 10. He said, it's not just for you. It's your son. It's your daughter. It's your manservant. It's your maidservant. It's your cattle. It's the stranger within your gates. Look at it. It's in the context of your home. And yet most homes are more like battle zones than they are havens. And we're, we're frenzied and frantic and frayed around the edges and at each other. And God says, no, no, wait, stop it. I want to give you rest. And I wonder about our own children. I wonder if our children would grow up and want more of this Christian faith if they saw more of this rest. I'm not suggesting you start blocking things out of the calendar, though that may be necessary. I'm suggesting that somewhere the application of this soul rest gets so in us that those who know us best see it evidenced in our lives. In my reading, I came the other day across something I thought was fascinating. I'm going to read it to you, and I'll be done. It was a description of the ancient celebration by a normal family of the Sabbath. What did it look like? A rabbi said, an observant Jewish family prepares for Sabbath for the entire week. (laughs) On Friday at sundown, they unplug from culture and reconnect with God, family, and friends. In the days prior to Sabbath, the mothers cleaned the house and prepared a three-course meal and a kind of bean soup. A crisp white tablecloth adorns the dining table. We don't even eat family meals together much anymore in our world, do we? Eighteen minutes before the sun sets, she lights candles and places two braided rolls of bread at the center of the table. The two rolls symbolize the double portion of manna God gave for the Sabbath to the wandering Israelites. 
The traditional Sabbath meal begins with the singing of two songs. One song refers to the choices one makes on the Sabbath, either to squander it or make it something valuable. The second is a song of gratitude to the one who made the Sabbath preparation. After the family is sung, the father blesses each of his children. He speaks three-sentence blessings over them based on verses from the books of Numbers and Genesis. He lays his hands on the children's heads and kisses them. Then they, in turn, kiss their father and mother. Next, the father sanctifies the meal, performs a ritual hand-washing, and blesses the bread. Then the family eats the three-course meal and sings ancient songs. After the meal is finished, the family retires for the evening. The next morning, the family walks together to the synagogue where they hear the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament read, and prayers offered. They'll worship God together with other friends and family from morning until noon. Then they'll walk home again. The mother serves the noontime meal that she prepared beforehand. The father again blesses, and the family eats. When the meal is done, family members nap or read. At around 4.30, they'll return to the synagogue for more prayers, songs, and instruction from the Torah. You know what people today would say? That sounds boring to me. Do you know what they did on the Sabbath? They made time for three things. God, their family, and their own soul. And I want to say to you, if we're going to start to live God's rest, we're going to need to reorder some things and reprioritize some things and maybe even eliminate some things so that God is in His rightful place, so that family has some time together to talk, to be with one another, and some time for stillness and quiet to let the rest get in our own soul. Oh, Lord, this commandment that I love to forget, and I excuse it, Lord, forgive me. Teach me your rest. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.